sank the dark clouds deeper and ran the wild moon hunting alive with fur and feather as omen apparition we left the moon suspended and leapt back onto the ground Welcome to the Antipodean Arts Podcast. This is episode 30. And I invite us all to notice our breath. And in noticing our breath, I invite us to remember where each of us is. And for some of us, that will be remembering that we are guests, that we are visitors in uh, traditional lands and the and sacred lands, which are all lands. And for some of us, that will be remembering that we belong to that place and laughing or being with that or crying with that or singing with that. And for others of us, we acknowledge country or we acknowledge land and we acknowledge that we are in the unceded sovereign territories of the Yagara, Jagara and Turrbal people here recording this in so-called West End Um in a place that is connected to Kurilpa, the place of the water rat, um, by the mighty Marawa, which I've recently learned to pronounce um, correctly, the great river that flows through these lands. And I acknowledge all of that and the elders of these nations here, past, present and emerging. And I acknowledge the continuous uh, resistance and... Uh, uprising and political action and kinship and relating and song and story and ceremony and science and education and beauty and joy and grief that exists in this land because of and in spite of colonization. Hello, Brody Ann. Hello, my love. How are you? I am Still tired. <laughs> and, uh, this is not a great time for me. But um, at least I went to bed before 1am, oh, which is did? unusual in my life. That's good. Yeah. That is good for you. Yeah. What about yeah. you? How are you? I'm really good. I had a day off yesterday, so I can't complain. It was hard to get up this morning because I did want to stay in bed with my big dog. But no, I'm I'm excited. It's such a beautiful day in Brisbane. It is. It's one of those true... I'll say so-called winter because, um, but yeah, it's like whatever is close to winter here, this is the time we start to see those, you know, I rarely wake up at seven, but those, um, those crisp cerulean blue skies Mm -hmm. that you only see at this time of year in this bioregion and also just the, the fucking, like, I don't want to go outside yeah. before I put on, I put on thermals this morning. <laughs> what? Yeah. I was like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not leaving the house until You're I put on terrible. thermals. I know. And I lived in fucking Melbourne um, <laughs> and I was married to a Canadian and spent some winters there. So mm. I, I know what negative 25 degrees Celsius <laughs> is like. Um, anyway, fuck all of that. <laughs> uh, we have a special guest, someone who I've known for, you know, quite a few years and, um, and someone I've wanted on this show for a, a long time. And Exciting. yay, we turn dirty 30. Dirty 30. And we can have this person on who is uh, Dorian Manticore and um, one of the, or maybe the, I will we'll learn about it, um, founders of the Sovereigns of the Golden Path. And they are just a really cool person. <clears throat> um, someone who is 
you know, very, I don't know, sincere and authentic and um, in their practice um, and funny too, I think. Anyway, uh, <laughs> well, welcome to the Antipode and Arts podcast, Dorian. Hello. Hello. Hi, we got you. Yes, <laughs> I am coming to you live from Bunurong country. Uh, Thank you for mentioning that. And how are you this morning? Sleep deprived. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be an exciting podcast, everyone. You've got yes. the three of us here, but no, it will be. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So did the lovely Fio get that correct? Are you the leader or the creator, the father? Yes. Um, I like to like deflect, <laughs> like, like sometimes I like jokingly call myself a cult leader, but I, I like <laughs> to call myself one of the core founders because core founders. It, it's like, a, it, it's very important to me to have uh, a strong sense of community and the contributions of, of my peers and so, like, I don't feel comfortable taking too much of the uh, the spotlight, essentially. Could you tell us a bit about, um, let's start there then and work backwards maybe. Could you tell us a bit about Sovereigns of the Golden Path? Certainly. Um, you might have noticed I just referred to it as the sun cult because we worship the sun and the, uh, the full name is a little bit unwieldy. Um, it is a... Uh, emerging tradition that I have uh, am helping bring into the world and it is for people who are queer and othered to find a place in paganism and to uh, engage with spirituality that might have been uh, denied to them up until they're um, uh, hopefully um, using this as like an entry point uh, into exploring paganism and witchcraft and all of those uh, fun things. So um, it's designed to be as accessible as possible and uh, and not assuming any kind of prior knowledge. Uh, I would like it to become fleshed out to be a like a full um, framework for practicing, but um, I also find it um, uh, it's it's uh, it's a goal for it to be like a scaffolding as well, so that people can bring their own practices and their own. Um, their own journeys into it as well. It doesn't have to be uh, an exclusive practice. And what what was your? I guess what brought you to that point? I I can imagine into that, but like, what what brought you to that place of, of feeling the need or desire to midwife or or um, forge or receive or you know create with? Uh, in in my like general meandering through paganism. Um, a lot of the things that I found myself particularly interested in, especially working with uh, animal spirits and, and plant spirits and things like that, uh, was really rife with cultural appropriation, especially from uh, Native American traditions. And also a lot of uh, the paganism, uh, like source material that I had access to was very... Um, it's either very binaristic or very heteronormative in just ways that it, it's not so much that I find that to be inherently problematic. I just felt like it didn't, like it wasn't a home for me. Like it, I didn't feel like I slotted into it and it was just, uh, felt kind of alienating, honestly. 
Yeah. Fair, yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think a lot of people would would understand that perspective and, and feel that themselves at, one, at more than one point. I think we've all probably had that conversation with ourselves, we hope. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, I, I know a lot of, I have, I have friends who work definitely within, you know, we had a guest um, not so long ago who is a high priest of Gardnerian Wicca. And um, we talked about that. We talked about the binary and how in that tradition there are roles for priests and there are roles for priestesses. And yet that tradition in many corners of its community is grappling with that currently. Um, yeah. And I, I kind of work more within traditions that don't have that idea of, you know, this, this is the role for this person. This mm. is the role for this person. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm curious about, God, I'm curious about so many things. I'm actually <laughs> like, where do we, where do we go from here? Um, unless you Dorian have another piece around like, you know, your experience as a trans and queer person, like, I guess that would reveal to you many things that for, for many folks is not obvious or, or present for them. Um, and, you know, we have quite a few listeners and I'm wondering what, what are some of the things that you notice in, in, in modern paganism and, and, and modern witchcraft that, that maybe it's because of the intersections that you experience and you have a few. Yeah. Um, there's, uh, with the with the SGP, I really wanted to create something from the ground up that was intended to be queer, rather than trying to slot queerness into an existing uh, thing. Mm. And there's uh, a lot of um, just simple language use can can really um, bring you out of a moment, like when people are taught, like doing like guided meditation things or things like that, and you know maybe they talk about. Um, uh, they make assumptions about people's bodies or they make assumptions about like connections that people might have to their family or um, fertility is also a big one as well because a lot of trans people aren't interested in having children. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things that can just, they, they just make you feel like, like you're just like a square peg in a round hole basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of it can be quite subtle. Yeah, of course. And those are the things that are most dangerous, I think, are most um, important. It can be just one word, but it, it could take, I mean, staying, like even just that example then you were saying, Dorian, within a ritual, one word pulling you out of of your state, pulling you out of the of the moment and um, and how devastating that could be for, for your practice, but that amplified and, and done, you know, multiple times to you. I can see why you would want to create your own home. Um, that is from the very, its very nature is going to be much more fluid, much, which I think magic is anyway. Yeah, exactly. Um, a lot of, uh, a lot of my personal writings, I talk a lot about just uh, how, everything around you if you're a queer and or other person is kind of like gently sandpapering off your will to live mm. <laughs> it's just it's it's just a little cascade death of by tiny a thousand cuts in exactly yeah. and um yeah so like i i 
I don't think that there's like like I don't want to throw shade at other other traditions. It's oh no, go that, for it. That's what we. Oh, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean that. I mean that sincerely. But no. like a lot of pagans aren't necessarily very uh, well educated on queer issues as well. Mm. So even if they are coming from a place of genuine sincerity, their you know their lack of education can cause them to make missteps that can honestly be quite hurtful. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a queer person too. I, but I think I notice it more when it comes to race, um, mm-hmm. because that you know, Western witchcraft and Western paganism also has a huge racism issue, of course. And, um, and that I have definitely been in rituals where I've been totally just. What usually happens for me is I just disengage. And sometimes it is about. Um, sometimes I've been in, I guess, Wiccan inspired rituals, um, public ones that I've been. Um, where fertility has been brought up and I'm like, mm, cool, bye. <laughs> and, so, and so I'll stay in the ritual, you know, to be respectful, but I'll just kind of like, I'll just kind of do my own thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've definitely done that before with when it comes to race and all kinds of different ways that, you know, because I think when I, for, for instance, when I'm leading something or when I aspire to lead um, when I, when I, uh, you know, I know I'm going to make mistakes. So basically what I do is I just try to create as many openings into the experience as possible. And there's that way of using, I guess, accessible permissive language where we give so many options. Um, especially when it comes around things like even visualization or seeing, like a lot of people will say, imagine this, imagine that, or see this or see that. Whereas it's easy to say, you know, I, you know, how are you noticing this? You may perceive through your senses in this way, you know, you, you might notice that, you know, this is happening in your body in some way, or you might, you know, you might imagine that you can hold it in this way, or you might taste it, or, you know, there's a lot of ways to, you know, and instead of saying you're walking down a path, which is going to isolate or marginal, further marginalize someone who may not have access to their legs, you can be, you know, in that way, you can be like, well, maybe you find yourself moving, like moving is a word. Um, and I guess that's just interesting. It's like sometimes when I have had these conversations with, with different people, either they're like, oh, thank you so much. There's like one of two responses I noticed. There's like, thank you so much. I'm going to weave that in as best I can. And, and then there's the, oh, that's ridiculous. And then there's just. Really? Yeah, of course. Um, obvi- <laughs> obviously. So and glad then, I'm not And then there's just resistance to it, you know? And it's the same with, like, you know, discussing racism or transphobia or misogyny um, with people online or in person. It's either, oh, thank you so much. Um, maybe not thank you, but, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about that. I'm going to lean into that or no way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't really ever come across, I've had a lot of experience in the past 20 years of dealing with people in this way and I've never come across a middle ground with that. Really? Yeah. The, people are quite emotional. We're emotional beings. <laughs> I wonder about you, Dorian, like what's your experience? You work a lot within community um, and networks. Like I'm sure you probably get the, you know, a lot of good, you know, good, well-intentioned people, but I guess what are your processes internally when you come across the kind of willful ignorance or the willful bigotry? Um, Something that I I had an experience in community that was uh, quite contentious around trans issues. And I I came to the conclusion that 
I am very happy to take on a role uh, as an educator. So if if uh, if I can educate people, then that is something that I will give to community freely. But if it comes down to a case of pushing back against that resistance that some people might have, and and needing to like have a, a, a facilitate a process for them in which they. Uh, you know, break down their their biases and and um, come to a place of greater understanding. That is actually quite detrimental to trans people, and I think that's an appropriate time for allies to step in and take on that role because it prevents the trans people having to feel like they're having to justify their existence. Yeah, over and over again. Exactly. Mm. We get enough of uh, we get enough of that in our day to day lives. Yeah. So. <laughs> Understand. Yeah, there was this, um, I, um, I'm sure listeners, many listeners would know Hannah Gadsby and I was, um, I was lucky enough. My friend took me to see the live, one of the live iterations of Douglas. And, um, there was this interesting moment in that show where Hannah, which is now on Netflix and one, but, but in this show, she used a different word than the recording on, on Netflix because she, on Netflix, she used non-binary, but in this, in Brisbane, in QPAC, she, she said something else. So basically it was this, um, this little story about a man coming up to her in a dog park. And, you know, basically saying something about how it would take less, um, less muscles to smile than it would to frown. And and she just had her neutral face on, she was saying it was her neutral face. Right. And so she said, and that story was going on. And then she went, oh yes, all the men in the, all the men in the crowd are going, well, you've experienced an isolated incident, Hannah, (laughs) all the women are rolling their eyes and understanding it. And all the trans people are like, oh, is that, is that your day? Is it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I and I I laughed very hard yeah. because even though I don't walk through the world with the trans experience, I don't believe, I don't think so. Um, I have many trans friends, like very close trans friends, and I have heard constantly about about it. And I'm and and again, that's that's a peripheral understanding, but enough to go, oh fuck yes. And I really enjoyed like someone with that platform using it that way. Um, and getting people with humour mm. to think about it like yeah. that. Because <laughs> that cuts straight to the core. It really does, it does because it, uh, many, mm. many people in that room laughed and then yep. they and had then to think about it. They're like, oh, shit, what yeah. does that mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah humour is a fantastic way of uh, motivating people to have some self-examination. <laughs> She also she also ripped into anti-vaxxers <laughs> um, because um she you know this was the show where she came out as autistic mm. and she just it was it was great I was it was a great time I haven't seen the second one yet so, so I'll have to so good Brodie yeah. that'll be that'll be me tonight mm. so I wanted to know a little bit more about the Sun Cult can you take me through. Um, a little bit more about it because uh, this is uh, my first time hearing about it, um, sad to say, and a lot of the listeners might not have heard of it either. So what can you tell us about sure. uh, it's a um, It's a tradition that is very deeply rooted in principles of both chaos magic and animism. And uh, the, the, the thread that kind of binds it all together is the power of narratives and stories. So the um, the kind of cosmology of, of the sun cult is that uh, the sun is a manticore and he's basically your dad now and he's very proud of you. Hmm. And uh, 
the 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 land that we live on is also in that kind of very animist tradition, uh, in its own way, sort of like a like a deity. Like uh, I personally put quite a lot of um, my devotional work into uh, my love of the sea as as a kind of a goddess kind of figure, and um, and also the moon as well. And but the, that connection could be with any uh, any. Anything of the land that you live on that you have a connection with, it could be mountains, it could be rivers. And um, so uh, the stories of the Sun Cult are kind of woven together with that sense of animism and that sense of community and that sense of connection and a sense of uh, returning to something that you might feel has been lost and regaining that sense of self because a lot of uh, queer and other people spend much of their lives masking or being in the closet or um, uh, other ways trying to to hide their true selves. And when you try to look under the mask, it can actually be quite confronting and challenging to really tease apart what is your authentic self and what is... Uh, the presentation that you have been uh, forced into or what is the, the the results of trauma or what are the things that have been put inside of you that you don't want to there uh, because a lot of queer and other people tend to be quite introspective and uh, so we do a lot of self-exploratory work and um, I, I like to joke that witchcraft is cheaper than therapy. <laughs> Don't, we we joke all the time that that this podcast is our therapy, so we get it. <laughs> yeah, yes. So it's uh, it can be about like exploring your relationships with um, with some quite confronting issues, like 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 grieving your past self. Like uh, if you were a trans person and you know you come out, do you might want to perform some kind of uh, like a renaming ceremony or mm. uh, there's just a sense of ritual that a lot of people are just desperately craving in their lives that um, in white Western overculture is just really lacking. Um, like just, just simple things like celebrating your first like dose of hormones or something. Mm. Uh, that can be such a powerful life milestone, but it can also be a place of really heavy grief as well. And the connections that people have with their families as well, and then building chosen families can be quite important. And uh, a lot of um, people don't have supportive, like parental or peer figures in their lives, especially when they're younger. So it's kind of um, uh, creating narratives that are uh, a tool for self-knowledge and growth, but also a comfort. Sounds amazing. Yeah, thank you. It's thank so you wonderful for, for creating this. Yeah. I have I, I have heard you in person speak about this before, but um, that was new to me and maybe I missed it last time, but it was really great to hear those specific examples. Mm. I'm wondering, Dorian, um, I, I met you through Reclaiming. Like I believe that's when I first met you um, in at a witch camp, I think. Um, I'm wondering about, you mentioned uh, chaos magic. Um, and you mentioned obviously animism, which is just a, a broad title, I guess, a, an academic way of talking about something that's real to us all here. Um, yes. But I'm wondering what, 
because I met you through reclaiming, which which is which is a tradition of witchcraft. I'm wondering what your experience, like what your what traditions may influence, or what forms of magical traditions may influence your particular style, and may or may not flow not flow but you know impact impact the way that you have been doing this work with the sun cult i'm always interested in people's backgrounds and what has impacted them in good or bad ways or even just like dynamic ways to move away from good and bad yeah reclaiming has honestly been a really fantastic influence on my life and my first witch camp has just changed everything so much for the better for me and I love my reclaiming community quite dearly but um, I came into that quite late into my pagan practice I've been practicing paganism since I was quite young and I kind of muddled my way through it and through first-hand experiences largely because I didn't really have any access to either peers or uh, good literature I only had access to like one or two particularly awful new age books when I was younger so I've kind of been that um the, the semi-feral child running off into the woods and finding things out on my own. So um, reclaiming has been really fantastic to uh, fill in the gaps of like the, the foundation that I had tried to build for myself for my practice uh, had some substantial holes in it that uh, would, that, that it was good to kind of spackle them over <laughs> and reclaiming has been quite wonderful for that. Um, Chaos magic is also a huge influence on me because I uh, I love like pop culture paganism and um, the the cosmology of the Sun Cult is quite heavily influenced by S J Tucker and Cat Valente's work about um, about manticles especially and yeah that that impact of stories as as magic to me is is really important and stories as a way of uh, processing and understanding and and stories as a as a vehicle for capital capital T truth, and that's kind of tied into uh, the the principles of chaos magic and pop culture paganism for me, which has been really influential uh, because of how we can uh, interact with with these stories. And uh, even if you if you wanted to treat certain things as like um, thought forms or egregores or, or what have you, that kind of chaos magic rooted stuff about working with um, with entities. Uh, for example, I, I have a relationship with um, an entity that is uh, actually related to a video game which can like get a lot of people in in pagan communities kind of side-eyeing you a lot but that i find it to be a rewarding relationship so yeah if that's that's, if if you if you draw strength and inspiration and insight and provocation from a connection like that's it (laughs) yeah full stop yeah (laughs) um yeah, no, my, that, that's very eloquent. Thank you. Oh, sorry. Keep going. Keep going. My in in one of the ways that it, the the sun cult dif- differs from my personal practice is that um, I do tend to be more polytheistic um, in in my own life. So there's a, a couple of deities that I work with, and you know, occasionally have brief relationships with others. Whereas the sun cult is very much not uh, not particularly deity heavily yeah, like heavy heavy work related to deities <laughs> although we do have some equivalent beings that people can connect with but it's um it's not it's not quite the same kind of relationships it's much more open 
Yes. Yeah. Did you? Um, I'm curious about this. Did you? Did you find that there that you wanted that you kind of wanted to 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 form and found this? Uh, you know, or did you find that it was just kind of happening and then you noticed it emerging and then you started to kind of bring your attention to it, or was it somewhere in between? Um, it's it's kind of uh, it's the kind of thing that at the time I was like joking about it, like. Um, I like, yeah, like I'm going to start a cult. <laughs> and, and then it was one of those things that kind of like it, it slowly became apparent that uh, one, I wasn't joking and two, it probably wasn't my idea. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah, yes. Correct. Correct. <laughs> I've had some very like like I'm I'm prone to, to self doubt and you know like oh am I only just making all this up is it in my head or whatever and then I've had some incredibly profound experiences um, especially related to to sun cult um, beings that are incredibly undeniable yeah. and it's like oh yeah this is this is something that is outside of me yes yeah. they've noticed you noticing them exactly. Yes. <laughs> And how, so right now it, you're in Victoria, so it's based mainly down south. Is there a way for or, or a way forward looking at it um, branching out into other states or is there a way for people listening to to be involved if this is something that is really speaking to them now via this podcast? Yeah, we, uh, we have a website which is queerpagan.com because I would like ultimately to have all of the materials to be available through the internet because accessibility is a, a, a real heavy goal for us. Mm. So we want to be able to have people to connect with us through the internet, um, through Facebook or Discord servers and things like that, because often just showing up to events in person can be a huge barrier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, and that would make sense. Yeah, the, the ultimate game goal is to have uh, like a fully fleshed out kind of tradition and, you know, perhaps maybe in future that it might have mysteries, but uh, for the meantime, have quite a lot of uh, materials for people to be able to access, mm-hmm. uh, especially on that level of, you know, if they find it, if they find any, if they find utility in any of it, they're welcome to use it. Like there's no sense of like uh, appropriation or closed practice here right now it's you know it's all very um it's very open and people are willing uh welcome to to take it and make it their own that's awesome well, i mean yeah that's at the core it seems of the whole sun cult's premise is that it's accessible and that it's available to, to everybody yes yeah yeah, which which I really love, and it sits in it sits in contrast to I guess my life a little bit because while I am a public teacher, I actually mostly practice in traditions that are private, um, except for reclaiming. Um, so that's uh, that's I always think that's really interesting to be in something that is quote unquote open source, and then the interesting contrast or even dynamic tension of then being participating in like you know private mystery tradition or whatever, which is so prevalent in contemporary witchcraft and paganism, I guess because of some of the roots in kind of Western lodge magic, but also just because of the mythography of um, witches being clandestine and mm. discreet and, you know, la, 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 la. Um, but it's, an, I, I think, I think, I think the more, 
what I always like to do is as far as possible and as far as is respectful, demystify that kind of stuff, even though it will always be mysterious by its Mm. very nature, Um, but at least demystify the ways in which people can access it. Mm. Yeah. uh, Something that's important to me is if people wish to engage with this material as just as pure story, they maybe they might have atheistic leanings. Uh, I want that to still be something that they can find utility in. And so the, the deeper level stuff might be more that, you know, this is actually like very real and tangible to us and not just uh, metaphorical. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You also talk about this really powerful concept around different kinds of death. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, the uh, Apart from the sun and the moon and the sea and the land that we live on, the um, there are uh, entities. Like, I, I don't think that deities is really the right word, but I can't, don't, don't think, I can't think of any, any better terminology to use. So we call them the queens of death. And they are um, these immense, huge, genderless beings that uh, represent different kinds of, of death and, and they have different domains. So there is the green death who we tend to work with around springtime, who is this being of like recycling and composting and taking the dead things that have died and, and bringing them back into the earth and breaking them down and mulching them and having them be feeding the living. And then there is the uh, the red death who is that sense of, of blood and, and teeth and the grief and pain and all of those, those blood of rich emotions that come from being alive and, and, and uh, all of those kind of very visceral feelings. And then we have the white death who is uh, kind of a sense of, of timeless, uh, sorry, a sense of like inevitability. It's kind of a memento mori kind of, um, being of like a, a reminder of, of the of the white bones inside of your body and that your time is finite and that you are going to die and that death is inescapable. And then we have the Black Death, who is uh, a very chthonic underworld deity, like the, the, black, the black hole at the centre of our universe that causes the galaxy to spin, this, this, uh, the death of everything, the death of all things, this kind of cosmic death. There's... Um, Honestly, I, I find them all quite intimidating. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's uh, as as a, a queer person, I find a lot of my practices to be very liminal, and I do quite enjoy underworld work. And I spend a lot of time in the underworld, but uh, death is very transitory, mm. and and it, it's it's a very liminal space, and it's something that we really uh, don't get enough opportunity to talk about and to and to grapple with and to um, to process in our lives and also like outside of having like loved ones die it's there's also all of those processes of like the the skin cells on the surface of your body dying and the plants that you eat dying and like uh, of of all of the processes around you of this constant death that is actually this really healthy presence in our lives that it's very harmful for us to ignore 
Yeah, totally. I, um, also, what's interesting, and maybe maybe you've already made this connection, but you know, as as someone who has this emerging tradition, you might find this interesting. But in a lot of, um, I guess, British derived uh, witchcraft traditions, we often talk about black, white, red, and green. Um, and so you've just named them. So all everything you've just said is very familiar to yeah, me. Yeah, it was so familiar to me. So yeah. I was wondering if there was a correlation. What's um, what's amusing to me is that I I have I, I still have very little uh, understanding of those of those threads actually. So this kind of came to me kind of independently of that, which is rather validating. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, that stuff is is very corroborating, and I mm. think I think. I think that happens a lot and I, and I wish people spoke about it more earnestly because mm. I, because I do like, like it's important as someone who didn't intend to midwife a tradition, but accidentally then did to have almost every specific thing um, corroborated mm. by other things or even, you know, and then to the level of cross pollinating and then, you know, and then honoring of course the roots that flow into things like it's a it's a mysterious process like the 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 midwifing I call it midwifing the midwifing of groups or traditions or orders they are essentially mysterious and it's even hard for people involved in it um to talk about to say where it where yeah this came because from. it's like well you know this comes from this part of my family this comes <laughs> this comes from here that we can't even talk about like you know and I'm sure Dorian you get it too because of that example but but I, you know, I think I wish more people were earnest about this because this is the magical process. Yeah, precisely. Um, <laughs> Brody, it's having a moment. <laughs> I'm trying not to cough. I'm it's sorry, Dorian. We're real. We're real. Yeah, I was trying to hold it in until you finished talking. Sorry. It's all good. <laughs> um, we're coming to the to the end, but is there anything anything? that you would wish to share with us or you've, you've mentioned queerpagan.net or I can't remember. Uh, dot com. Dot com. Thank you. Um, yeah. Plug away, honey, because there'll be people listening to this who will be like, Oh shit. I damn. am all about this. And rightfully um, so. Yeah. We have a, we have a Facebook group and, and a discord server and um, it's, it's a, uh, we're like trying to foster a very kind of um, friendly, like peer based organization. Like I, I'm like welcome input of people and, and I want people to be able to talk about their experiences in, in a safe space where they don't feel like they have to kind of hedge around things. Like I've, I've known a lot of pagan communities where you can't really outright say something because of that fear that you're going to sound very mentally unhinged. And um, I don't, I, I want to be able to foster a community in which people can talk about their experiences earnestly and sincerely. And mm. Um, mm. I would love for people to get involved. Like I, I really want this to be a thing that that spreads and that um, that people can contribute to as well. Like it's, I, I don't want it to be all about me. <laughs> I don't want people to be able to engage with it and, and enjoy it and, and find utility in it and, and find the home within themselves. Mm, beautiful. I also, I also hope that you, like just then when you were talking about the Queens of um, death, mm. I was like, Oh honey, I don't know. Like I would come to a class online or in person, but you know, probably online these days that, um, that you taught on that specifically, mm. like even just pieces of it have, have, have such merit on their own as mm. well. So I encourage Hi. you. <laughs> yeah. All the hairs were standing up on my arms as he started listing them off and literally, I don't know if this is relevant. We have 
four microphones and four jacks. And I'm, as you were talking, I was counting them off on the four, like it's literally numbered one to four, the connections that go into our desk here as you were talking of each queen of death. And it was, yeah, I don't know, it just all, it's real. Some yeah, real shit. We, um, we hosted a ritual for the uh, spring um, spring equinox and uh, a good friend of mine who's also been very uh, heavily involved in the creation of the sun cult uh, mantles the green deaths, which is a kind of an aspect and technique where you bring down an entity into a mask and you wear the mask. And uh, it was it was a profound experience for everybody involved. We held it in a park in Melbourne, uh, and the footpaths in this gigantic park actually form a giant pentagram, and we were in the centre of the pentagram. And uh, it was a ritual based around like composting your old self and and, and, and those leaves that will fall down and and uh, break down and and feed your current self. And uh, we had a moment in the ritual where everybody had taken, uh, they were given a leaf by the green death and they had to think about what part of themselves was, were they letting go of that, that, that leaf was falling from their tree. And, uh, and then she went around and she picked all of the leaves up and uh, was going to dig them, uh, d- d- dug a hole to put the leaves into, but they uh, they wouldn't fit because the hole was quite small because the ground was very, very hard. And there was this moment where she took the leaves into her hands and just like crunched them into a vault because they were like very dry and just like everybody in the circle kind of cringed at the same time and it was just incredible. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I love stories that come out of the, the lived experience oh, of things. so much. And that's what we're, we're lucky to be able to share. And so thank you so much, Dorian, for sharing um, with us today. And um, I'd love to have you back on. I'd love to, to hear more um, as things progress. And I hope the Sun Cult stays in touch with its Sunshine State neighbours. We'll be here <laughs> waiting for you. <laughs> Um, I would love that. And we, yeah, we would love to hear more. So, I am quite sure, like we we actually have listeners from all over the world, not just um, yeah. Australia. But you know, I hope they, I hope the people who are um, provoked and inspired by what you're saying reach out. Mm. I hope so too. I would love to meet you. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Okay. Well, now you can go and snuggle up. <laughs> you can go back to bed if you. Yes. Like. Think- I don't know if that's possible. But- <laughs> May you have, may you find rest. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you, Dorian. Thank you. And thanks everyone for listening. Have a good night. We lay upon the hill that lay beneath the wolf sky. We felt the dark clouds falling and omen apparition. And with the thunder rolling, how preceded the storm. We lay beneath the wolf sky. This has been the Antipodean Arts Podcast. Music by Wendy Rule. The song is Wolf Sky.